1942, the city of Los Angeles awoke to the alerts of a mysterious aircraft off the coast, followed by the boom of anti-aircraft artillery firing in the early morning hours. While many believe this event to be evidence of an alien visitation, is there a simpler explanation that reveals the truth behind the so-called Battle of Los Angeles? This is Red Web. Welcome back, Task Force, to Red Web, the podcast all about internet mysteries, the supernatural phenomena behind this world, and unsolved true crime. I'm your resident mystery enthusiast, Trevor Collins, and joining me hearing this mystery for the very first time, Alfredo Diaz. I saw this. It was a documentary, like Battle for L.A. or something like that. You're talking about Battle Los Angeles, the Battle, movie? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was kind of based on this. Is, is it? So yeah, Go you know what? aliens in that? You got a leg up. Okay. Yes. That is based I don't on any of that terrible movie. Okay, I don't know if I even saw it to be honest, but yes, there are headlines in there based on the real headlines, except Whoa. falsified to lean more into the alien mystery yeah. of it all. Like that the is the Hollywood aspect. Of yes, it. the Hollywood aspect. And then Rihanna was in Battleships. Yes, Battleship. Yeah. Yes, that's a movie. Okay, anyways. I forgot about that one. <laughs> Yeah, not it, that bad a movie. Honestly. Wasn't that bad? It was okay. okay. Not that bad, Christian. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll quote you on that. But it's official red web review. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the Battle of Los Angeles is what it's called, and UFOologists, alien believers, really pinpoint this moment, this event, as proof of an alien encounter. We're going to talk about that in the theories, but I really want to break down, one, the historical context of this whole event, and then two, the incident itself, because it is, it was pretty shocking that I hadn't heard about this growing up yeah, because of how wild and I'm sure insane it was for anybody who was in LA at the time. What year was this? This was 1942. Okay. Oh, yeah. So we're going to kind of contextualize it in history because any history buff out there knows we had just entered as a nation, the United States, World War II by this point, maybe just a few months into it. See, now a lot of my thoughts are going to go into what if it was just like a rogue plane or or they sent some kind of stealth plane our Mm -hmm, way. mm -hmm. (sighs) We're going to talk about all that in the theories. sets it into that mindset. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and wind back the clock. You know, the attack on Pearl Harbor just took place in December 7th, 1941. That's two and a half months prior to this incident. The following day, of course, the U.S. declared war and began its involvement in World War II. Paranoia at this point had spread across the country, but rumors and fears of an impending attack by the Japanese kept the West Coast on edge for weeks. You grew up in San Francisco. I don't know if you know much about this particular window of history. Uh, no, but there's a lot of places in San Francisco where you can like go and learn about like the mm-hmm. ships that they had lined up and and like how the Navy approached it from like the um, Bay Area coastline mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So. Absolutely. So without you know being exhaustive, there were rumors, including reports of a Japanese submarine off the coast of Alaska, rumors of a Japanese aircraft carrier off the coast of the San Francisco Bay. Jesus, um, these rumors. Terrifying. Oh, absolutely. And so you don't really know what's out there, so people are kind of on edge. And the rumors then led to the issuing of various citywide blackouts all along the coast. So that way at night, you know, black out your windows so that way they can't really pinpoint where the city might be if they are out there, right? So basically oh. just, yeah, just trying to give context to the environment that we're entering yeah. psychologically. In fact, just a day prior to this incident, on February 23rd, there was a Japanese submarine that attacked ships 10 miles north So we're talking about the Los Angeles area. There was an attack off the coast of Santa Barbara, which is just north up the coast. 
and that was on the Elwood oil field. I had no idea that they were this close to our Mm -hmm. coast. That's very frightening. Also, like the whole turn off the lights thing, blackout, fantastic. I feel like it takes one neighbor to mess that up. Oh, right. You're right. And then, like, someone's cooking and grilling. Someone's doing, exactly. There's a bonfire. Someone's doing something. People don't got blackout curtains. They got their, the, the TVs, the tubes going, stuff like that. And so you, you could tell. Yeah. But yeah. I guess, like, not to have it, you know, like lit up to the point where, like, you could see from outer space. Right. Type thing. You, you yeah. might think, is that is that a whole city or is that just one bad neighbor? Maybe there's more <laughs> yeah. solidarity a hundred years ago. I don't know. It's but. True. In that incident, just to kind of close the book on that one, there were no deaths, but the military believed a bigger attack may follow. So that then leads us to the eaves of this incident. You know, they were on yellow alert until February 24th at 10.23 p.m., which then leads us up to February 25th, 1942, the incident. So this was in the wee hours of the morning at 1.45 a.m. The coastal radar detected a blip, an unknown aerial target flying 120 miles west of Los Angeles on a clear moon night. This unknown target appeared to be moving straight towards the city. Bold. By 2.15 a.m., two other radars detected the same potential aircraft. With the presence of an unknown target, air raid wardens were woken up and put on green alert, which meant that they were ready to fire. So to go through the whole spectrum of alerts, we have the green alert, of course, which means ready to fire. You have yellow, which was already pre-existing, which means wardens were at their posts. Then you have red alert, which means air raid imminent. And then white means all clear. Got it. Yeah. Okay, hold on. We got the coastal guns or whatever. Mm -hmm. Where the hell is Top Gun? Where's Maverick? Where's Goose? Why are they like, if... I, I don't you know. Want to, you want them to scramble the jets? I, right. If there's something that's like, you, I see a blimp. It's like, get, these are bad times right now. Sure. Right? We're, it's already pretty much like the, the the stage has been set. We know where we're at. This isn't just a random, like, right now it's, you know, we got a blimp. It's February 13th, 2024. We got a blimp on the radar. God knows why. This is like, this could be an attack. Right. Get the jets up there. <laughs> I don't know. So don't, you're escalating instantly. Well, isn't it our coast? Like it's our are, coast, sure. What sure. are we? What are we escalating? We got some jets on our home turf. Like that's you know, it's a good point. You see a blip, and just to be to reiterate, yeah. it's a it's a blip, assumed aerial aircraft coming, and not a blimp. Yeah, just blip. To, okay, just to yeah, make sure. yeah, blip. Uh, so you see a blimp. That'd be really weird if they came at us <laughs> with a blimp. <laughs> um, bold, uh, slow. Yeah. Let's see if it pans out here. So now we're on green alert. Air raid wardens are ready to fire. Yep. The radars were able to track this unidentified target until it was within three miles or five kilometers of the Los Angeles coast, at which point it kind of disappeared. It's too close. Very close. It's too close. So around 2.25 a.m., the Office of Naval Intelligence announced the presence of a hostile aircraft, and the air raid alarm system was used for the very first time since the beginning of World War II. This included sirens, searchlights and a total blackout was issued across Los Angeles. At 3.06 a.m., a balloon carrying a red flare was spotted over Santa Monica. Four anti-aircraft batteries along the coastline began shooting into the sky shortly after 3 a.m. Wow, that's terrifying. Very terrifying. So I actually remember those sirens. Like they would just have the te- like siren tests. Like every other week or something like yeah. that? Yeah. And so um, I actually vividly remember what that sounds like i mean if that went off right now i don't know i don't think austin has one but if that went off right now what the hell would we do under the desk 
Is that the best thing? I think so. That's what I mean. Listen, I mean, if you dove under this desk with confidence, I'm in there. Right. This, <laughs> you know this is a sturdy desk. It's pretty sturdy. And it's also the only thing I was trained on. As a boy in Indiana, they would also do those, but it was more for tornadoes and earthquakes. Yeah, it was for earthquakes for us. And so every other Friday, they would send those sirens off. I would feel like Silent Hill was coming and the oh, mists yeah. were coming in. Yeah, yeah. And we would all get under the desk, hold on. And I'm like, this thing is, is worse than a helmet. I'll be honest. I, I know the school budgets. And um, I just don't know what the heck to do in that situation. Yeah. I mean, black out your windows and, you know, right. probably huddle into the, it's, it's probably very similar to a tornado warning. Get to the most interior, most protected spot of the house, but true. also a lot of hoping. Yeah, true. Yeah. So the LA Times later reported that, quote, the air over Los Angeles erupted like a volcano. I actually have the next day the Los Angeles Times cover. It's going to show you the photo we're going to talk about later. It's got some other elements to the article around it, including some of the damages from the artillery. Wait, so, like, okay, so I see, like, all the, the like, lights in the sky. So those were, like, lights that were, I guess, like, headlights for the uh, mounted artillery, and they yeah. just start firing. So the spotlights are aimed up at the wow. sky. Wow. And in this photo, they're all looking at one central yeah. point. And yeah, it's very eerie looking. Very close encounters of the third kind. Yeah, it looks like... If you, I don't know, just initial look, I'm like looking, like just initially looking at it. I'm like, is something like in the sky just beaming yeah. light down yep. from in a bunch of different directions? And then next to it is some dude's car and it looks like it had some bullet holes in it. Yes. We'll talk a little bit more about the damage to public property and private property. It was very minimal, but basically some of the shrapnel and shells from the artillery going off Damage a little bit of property around, like, kind of where they were stationed, but really not all that bad. It was very minimal, but again, we'll, we'll kind of dive into that once yeah. we talk about the, the response. That would just be terrifying to look at outside your window. Spotlights go up, you just hear, yeah. oh my, oh my goodness. Right at 3 a.m. too. Oh my God. Yeah, waking up to that is probably very jarring and alarming. Oh yeah. So I do want to say a major source for this episode and the research that we have going into this is a report published by the Office of Air Force History from 1983, right? So this whole topic kind of slept for decades until 1983, which brought it back to life in the public eye. But there's a chapter by historian William Goss. And according to Goss, while the weapons were firing, the Air Force, quote, information center was flooded with reports of enemy planes, even though the mysterious object tracked in from sea seemed to have vanished, end quote. So basically, a lot of people are now, as soon as these firings, as soon as these spotlights go up, Reports are just pouring in. People yeah. are seeing things, especially we saw the balloon with the red flare. We saw military, I say we, the people at the time saw yep. enemy planes and other people saw like unidentified flying objects of various kinds that night. So that's kind of yeah. the cornerstone of these, I'm, this mystery. I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, if they saw enemy planes and I'm, I'm thinking the unidentified part is just people that aren't qualified to identify. Could be. You know what I mean? But we'll talk about those planes too. Oh. Because okay. we'll get into the response. Be planes. Yeah, 100%. I mean, 100%. What if it was just happenstance that an alien civilization extended their hand out and like flew in on the ship and was like, we have 
a ton of cures for all of your ailments, right. mankind. And we just like, <laughs> because it was just bad timing. <laughs> they're, they're flying in. Aliens are flying in in B-52s. And they're like, wow, they have very similar aircraft to us, Chlorkazorg. Well, they're going to really love these vaccinations that we've invented for them. The cure-all for humanity. <laughs> oh, Chlorkazorg, they don't seem to like us. That would be a wild situation. <laughs> I like how, to me at least, the aliens sound like they're of that time period. <laughs> <laughs> see? We got these cures, see? <laughs> they also have a, a honking cigar, nut, like smoked down to the nub, and they're chewing on it. They're just chewing on it, the paper's flailing and flailing. Now, this barrage of bullets and other weapons across the coast and city continued until 4.14 a.m., so almost an hour's worth of sky barrage. Yeah. I'll be honest, that's enough time for me to wait long enough to get really terrified and impatient and paranoid enough to get into the car and start driving. If it was like 10, 15 minutes, yeah, I feel like I would be good, like gone by then. That or you would enter the highway like any post-apocalyptic scenario oh, uh, on TV. You'd enter the highway and you wouldn't move. And then you would become a target for, uh, you know, whoever, whatever potential enemy wants to cut off the arteries to a city. Yeah. Highways. I, I would be out of the car. If I ran into a standstill like that, I'm out of the car. Mm-hmm. Or is the best thing to do just take a damn e-bike or something like that. Right. You or could bicycle. wheel on out of there. To a degree. You're nimble. <laughs> nimble, but only at 10 <laughs> miles an hour. <laughs> All right. So in that hour, 1,400 rounds of anti-aircraft artillery had been fired, but not a single one of them supposedly hit an aircraft. Jesus. And all clear, a white alert was issued at 721 a.m. It's a long time to be terrified. It's a long time. Even then, I'm sure like the public doesn't get notice of the all clear until sometime after that, right? It depends. I would imagine that they would want it to go out as soon as possible to the public. You know, you have radio, you have, of course, newspapers a little slower, turn the sirens off, but definitely the military was white alerted instantly. Yeah, I guess the sirens are going off for like, what, four hours? I don't know if they were going off the entire time, but at least during the barrage, they must have been going off. Oh my God. So a very frightening, to say the least, and which is why it's kind of like shocking, even if it didn't amount to anything, that it wasn't kind of part of the conversation in history class. But let's now talk about the response. What happened after, of course, we're looking for answers. What was flying that night? Who might have been flying that night, especially given the historical context? Was it Japanese enemies along the coast? Were we under attack? Were we firing at anything? All great questions. So that afternoon, citizens and news sources were both very confused as to what had happened and were seeking those answers. The only physical evidence of the air raid was shrapnel throughout the city, and as I kind of mentioned earlier, minor property damage that amounted to about $500, or using an inflation calculator to today's currency, February 2024, about $10,000. That's it? That's about it. Bro, you can have that on someone's savings account. The governments, they're good. They're good for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm kind of surprised. Surprising, dude. Yeah. Well, especially because if shrapnel was just flying off, period, right? Mm-hmm. You think then it would cause more damage. Right. It would either be something that is 
it's on either one end of the spectrum or the other. You're either not having shrapnel fly off and hit stuff, or you're doing that to the point, especially because you're firing off for hours on end, to the point where um, you're causing a lot of damage in the nearby area. Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that it's so close to zero. So hats off, I suppose, to the military yeah, for their stuff. placement of bases or for their relative control here. Now, what was interesting to me, because I had known about this, uh, this incident, this so-called battle. I didn't know this. There were five casualties that night. What? Yeah. So three were as a result of car crashes in the ensuing chaos that happened. Oh, um, people panicking, driving. Think about that. Yeah, just driving too quickly, crashing into one another. And two, to kind of elicit just how fearful it was that night. I mean, I think we kind of know, we can imagine, but to to kind of really evoke that, two people passed away from heart attacks due to the sheer panic that was on set. I didn't think about that either. Yeah. So no planes were found crashed on land or in the water, and there was no evidence of any bombs having gone off. Franklin Knox, the Secretary of the Navy, said in a press conference, quote, as far as I know, the whole raid was a false alarm. The 4th Air Force, the main air defense arm of the West Coast during World War II, reported that no pursuit planes had left the ground as they wanted to assess the threat before sending their limited number of planes. So there's the answer to your question about scrambling the jets. Okay. Yeah. So it seemed that basically in the moment, a blips on the radar could be an enemy. That's how it's interpreted. But they're saying, let's not scramble the jets yet. We've got one impending blip here. Let's not alert the whole Air Force, especially... If we have a limited number of aircraft and there's others to come, yeah, we need to be ready. I mean, if they're two to three miles out before it disappeared, though, I, I feel like we clocked it in at 125 miles, if I remember correctly. It was 120 miles off the coast. Yep. But varying speeds came in. I'll talk about that in just a oh, second. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I still feel like mm, 25 miles off. I'm scrambling something. Right. It's not an egg. Right. Like... That's too close. That's very close. It's, it got to two to three miles. At what point do you go, uh, you're just kind of holding, like, the whole point of that is because, you know, you're limited for sure, but the whole point is to use them in this right. situation. You don't want to be caught with your pants down, but you also don't want to say, like, well, we didn't do anything because we had limited planes. Like, right. yeah, well, now the yeah. city's in ruins. It's it's a very difficult situation to be in. I don't envy the decision-making, but... in In my head, I just picture like the general and the artillery crew just fire all these rounds and it's just like in uh prayer with arnold and i think it's hawkins when they fire off into the jungle and then he just comes back and he goes we hit nothing now at the same time henry stimson the secretary of war told associated press quote as many as 15 planes may have been involved flying at various speeds from what is officially reported as being very slow to as much as 200 miles an hour and at an elevation from 9,000 to 18,000 feet. It's like, is this like the Covenant from Halo? Like, the Covenant from Halo is a collective group of aliens. Mm hmm And they're, ba the, they're the bad guys. Right. They're coming to deliver all the Yeah, they're coming to blast the, the planet. But, oh, I mean, like, right. like, is this, is this like, it feels like it's like a Covenant armada. It's like different... It's like different states and nations just sent a plane each or something like yeah. that at us. Like, I don't, I'd be very confused. It was a very confusing night. Very fearful. And this is as best as people had at the time, which is, okay, a lot of people say they saw some enemy aircraft anywhere from 9 How to 18,000 feet. It would, I mean, it would be hard to say, right? Any aircraft at 
3 a.m. in the sky, 9,000 feet I up call, is going to be tough. I call BS, okay? Possible. I it's call, possible BS. I call BS because when you look, how many times you look into the sky, mm -hmm. all right, and Trevor, Christian, Task Force at large, look into the sky and you go, wow, that's a star. And you go, never mind, it's a plane, it's moving. How are you going to be able to tell if it's an enemy right. or not? That star's blinking. That's, oh, it's right. a plane. <laughs> it's a plane. Or it's like, that's a plane. Wait, it hasn't moved. It's a star. <laughs> like, you're telling me someone in, in like in, in the Bay Area is like, yep, that's an enemy plane. Right? <laughs> oh, I've seen what? that one before. <laughs> no way. That's an enemy. Oh, nope. That's the moon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that just highlights how fearful it was at the time, oh, right? Oh, 100%. But, but also, you know, on this show, a lot of people want to get their little mitts in the mystery. They want to say, I I saw the alien. Yeah. He played cards with my uncle. It, it was the Zodiac case, the one, the one you know, that we covered. Yep. Um, Very famous case. I think that's the one where it just stuck to me the most, where there's Bunch of people calling in, but like I did it. I'm that's like, what. Yeah. What? That's when we first said, "What? what? what what's wrong what's with you now?" Wrong with people. Just stay out of it, right? But but of course, you know we have a lot of eyewitnesses, and so the army spent the entire day following, interviewing all of these eyewitnesses. Yeah. Though much of their investigation was not made public until the release of the 1983 document that I talked about earlier. And that's, again, what kind of breathes more life into this, not only this incident, but then also created a little bit of a mystery. Because in my humble opinion, once we get through the theories, I think we do have kind of an answer for this one. But it doesn't stop people from believing. So ultimately, there were many conflicting accounts, as you can imagine, from these eyewitnesses across the city. Some reported blimps as we talked about briefly earlier. Others reported seeing Japanese parachuters, and at least one person claimed to have seen a bomb dropping. So a lot of wild witness accounts, most of them unverifiable by physical evidence. I would say so. One person said that they, were, they saw a bomb dropping. Yeah, they nuked upper, uh, the up, you know, they nuked the valley. Uh, yeah. Sir, no, they didn't. I, I, for, I live in the valley. I live in the valley, and it's still, still there. there. I just, come on. I saw a bomb drop. Yeah, must have been a dud. I mean, that's just hysteria, right? And, and exactly. people, uh, obviously, you're going to be like, I saw something. Yes. But it's just, I don't know. It's funny to me because and then, obviously, there wasn't one that dropped. I think you're 100% right. And, and, then, um, and then what? You had one person parachute off of a plane, and then what did he start doing? Like, right, chopping wires, cutting phone lines. Like, I don't like. What does that person get? Like, I don't. Somebody parachuting what in. What a weird way to attack. <laughs> I mean, states. I think it's easy in the dark of night with these spotlights and a lot of aerial explosions going off to either misidentify something or see something and then misremember it, especially yeah. in the chaos of the night and the cloud of fear. But yeah, there's, there's very little evidence for all of this. And I think that this, to me, is the exact foundation of kind of what happened that night. And we'll, again, we'll talk about it in the theories, kind of break it all the way down as to like the domino effect that happened here. But before we get there, I want to talk about a reporter for the LA Herald Examiner, Peter Jenkins. He claimed, quote, I could clearly see the V formation of about 25 silvery planes overhead moving slowly across the sky towards Long Beach. So Jenkins was one of the many who reported seeing a V formation. The Long Beach chief of police told LA Times that he saw a, quote, flight of nine silvery looking planes from the Redondo Beach area across the land side of Fort MacArthur and towards Santa Ana and Huntington Beach. 
And then in that document that came out in 1983, it included that a coast artillery colonel saw about 25 planes at 12,000 feet. The commander of the anti-aircraft brigade later said that he believed he saw planes too until he realized what he was seeing was just smoke. Now, again, I, I love that we can highlight all of these eyewitness accounts, but we do have somebody else who was part of the brigade, part of the yeah. anti-aircraft barrage saying, but when I look closer, when I actually analyze what we were all trying to see, yeah. I realized we were seeing the smoke of our own artillery. Um, and we'll again, we'll lean into that a little bit in one of the theories. Yeah, because I was about to say, how, I mean, does the blip were they flying so tight together that the blip on the radar was mm. literally all of them just in, became information? one? It's a great point. Like, do you think that that would be like if you could go back and you could like be a commander? of the Air Force, you could be like, all right, folks, we're gonna do what I call the I formation, where they all fly one above the other. Oh my God. And they create a vertical stack yeah. of perfectly aligned planes. Because so the radar is one. the radar is X, Y. It doesn't yes. have a Z coordinate. Nope. So you just have a placement geographically. And then not they're like, oh, it's a single wise. blip. And then all of a sudden, once you get off the coast, like right off the coast, like they're flying out. a stack. And then they all unstack. And then you just go, nah, that was just for show. Wasn't it cool? I mean, that had to have been possible, right? right? I feel like... I feel. Look up the stack, Christian. It's got to be real. Uh, yeah, it's got to be some kind of military created, maneuver. We created brilliance today here on the show. <laughs> it's got to be some kind of maneuver. And if not, let's patent they, it. That they teach it at Top Gun Academy. Right, right. This is beyond Top Gun. This is Toppest Gun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be, though. That's. Let's go ahead and get Tom Cruise on the horn. Let's see what he thinks about this. Now, all that said, it is worth mentioning because what we do on this show is we're going to break down the historical context. We're going to talk about all the collated information out there, but we're not going to be biased. There were countless individuals that had nothing to report. They witnessed the event and saw nothing of any sort of aircraft in the sky, whether it be blimp, balloon, or airplane. So that is worth remembering. Now, what became known as the Battle of Los Angeles was largely forgotten until the report in 1983, brought it back to attention. So with that, let's see if we can dissect what happened that night and maybe figure out some answers. All right, let's solve it. Let's solve it, baby. Anything on the stack? Oh, I didn't know you were serious. Mm. I can actually... <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll be honest, I did not take that seriously. <laughs> I did not even try to look anything up, but I can if you actually want to. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Actually, a billion results. It's the most Googled thing today. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be, air quotes, right. But sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great. Therapy can be a great place to work through the challenges that you face in all of your relationships, whether it's friends, coworkers, significant other, anybody. Could be a guy that you just met on the street and you just want to get to know them real well, but you got some friction. Well, Therapy some can help. Pain in the butt dog. Some pain in the butt dog. That's a great example. Yeah. I really enjoy how BetterHelp makes therapy approachable. There's a lot of stress when it comes to finding the right therapist. How do you do it? Where do you start? And they give you a quiz and they will find you a licensed therapist. Boom. To fit your needs, you can change, you can pivot. It's not daunting, much like real life can make it. Super quick super and easy. Convenient. You don't got to go driving to different offices, looking through a phone book. Nada. Mm-mm. So, if you're thinking about starting therapy, BetterHelp is a great option. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. All you have to do is fill out the survey that I was talking about, and they will match you with a licensed therapist. Plus, you can switch at any time. 
Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash redweb today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash redweb. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like the subscriptions that you have are taking over your life? We're all subscribed to something these days, but guess what? There's a new superhero in town, Fredo, and they're called Rocket Money. I know you know about them. That I do. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. Rocket Money is the new personal finance app that finds and cancels all your unwanted subscriptions. They're going to monitor your spending and they're going to help you lower your monthly bills all in one place so you can grow your savings. Oh, I love it. And with Rocket Money, you can have full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of all your expenses. Yeah, I use uh, Rocket Money all the time. It gives me an email with a breakdown of what my spending is and where it's coming from. Also, just a lot of news outlets are reporting that other subscription services this year are going to hike the prices up again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to forget. So I'll get that email and be like, how much am I spending for the subscription service now? Boom. And then I canceled. can make educated decisions. Yeah. yeah. I also love that they just do that for you. Yeah. Some of them is a hassle. You can click it in the app. You don't have to go through the, all the telecom people that nope. are like, no, 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 we got a deal for you. Like, no, please, right. yes. please. No, I don't want to have to lie I'm to you. For, I just want to, yeah. just don't want anymore. Mm-hmm. So Rocket Money has over 5 million users and they have saved a total of $500 million in those pesky, canceled, unwanted subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when you use all of the app's features. That's wild. So stop wasting your money on things that you don't use and cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash redweb. That's rocketmoney.com slash redweb. One more time, rocketmoney.com slash redweb. All right, so... As this was the very beginning of the U.S.'s involvement in World War II, many believed that Japanese enemy aircraft were flying about Los Angeles, potentially with the intent of attacking the United States. Stimson, the Secretary of War, theorized that their military might have been sending out kind of reconnaissance planes to get an idea of the U.S. anti-aircraft capabilities, which, if that was the case, mission accomplished. well done. We blew a hole in the sky. Yeah, we did. I mean, talk about the ozone layer. Mm -hmm. It was ripped apart. Yeah. Now, he presented an alternative theory, however, suggesting that their military may have sent out commercial planes to create panic and affect morale. So you joked about a little bit of it just being a commercial airliner, but it it was a total theory that was on the table. Like, hey, maybe they just flew a commercial airline over just to get us a little bit on edge, right? Just to tip us over the point and see yeah. what would happen. I said that, Psychological warfare. I said that because it was a passing thought in my head of like, what if they had planes that flew a certain elevation and then told the artillery crew to fire, to hit a certain elevation, I guess? Oh. You know what I mean? You mean like flying flying specifically above range or like? Yeah, probably like specifically above range. Yeah. And, hmm. and then to induce fear into the nation yeah but it also kind of seems like the thing is the one thing that kind of makes me go against that theory is the fact that it seems like this was kind of forgotten pretty quickly yeah in the sense of like whoa that was wild anyways moving on yeah and then like i mean you use the word multiple times forgotten until like the 80s yeah. or something like that yep and so i mean mission not accomplished True. You probably just instilled fear into like a city and that was it. it didn't right. Seem like it was a nationwide thing. Didn't seem like the um the government kind of like really felt fell on that and was like, look, 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 this 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 happened. 100 percent So yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I notice in the mid early to mid-century mysteries in the 1900s is that kind of the next day after these things happen, people read the news and go, 
absolutely, that must be it. Nowadays, there is a total different disposition regarding news, something that I hope to read in sociological reports in decades to come, but basically we have a different relationship now to news and government responses than I think they did then. And whether that's because it was the actual answer or propaganda, you know, it all depends on the particular event we're looking at. But in this case, the people of Los Angeles read the news and said, got it. Because again, you saw the you saw the the paper there. It yeah. doesn't say anything about UFOs. It doesn't say anything kind of alarmist, more like that. That was more of the upswing of UFO sightings and UFOlogy that happened kind of into the 60s and 70s with Project yeah. Blue Book. It's that's what inserted it into the zeitgeist. And so when this came around back in the 80s, people said, "Oh, this too. This also must have been an event." Yeah. Regarding UFOs and aliens. Oh, I think. I mean, I I completely agree. I think nowadays you have. Uh, headline readers, mm-hmm. right? You know, oh I mean, god, it's so much easier. It's it's just it's quick and easy. Like yeah. if you, I mean, like you can put an article uh, to the task force um, in HQ, and it's just like Alfredo's eye drifts, and then people are like he's got drifting eye, bro. Yep. He's, he's got an oscillating eye. He's got, like, <laughs> no, if you if you read the article, it like drifts onto target. You know what I mean? Right, and, right. It really nailed. The, the stonks for Red Web. Uh-huh, uh-huh. People are going to be headline readers. They'd be like, oh my God, he's got a drifting high. <laughs> so like, yeah, I mean, I tell a lot of people nowadays that like, will just tweet out about something and I'm like, oh, you didn't read. Yeah. Like past react, the react to the headline and yeah. not read the material. It's, you know, it's a clouded world with lots of things to read and my eyes scroll slowly. They pick up these words very tediously. Just say it to me with words. Now, what's interesting, and a wrinkle to this particular theory, is that after the war ended, Japan's military claimed that they had not sent any aircraft over during this time period. So yes, the day prior, there might have been an attack by a Japanese submarine in the area. There may have been validity to the rumors of a submarine near Alaska or the aircraft carrier. Again, those are still rumors to this day. But they did say, nope, during that day, during that time period, we did not send any aircraft over. That wasn't us. And, and was this was this around the time of the... This would have been after World War II had kind of include, concluded. Oh, okay. Because so, I was about to say, like, if it was literally around the same time, the it'd be day? really weird to be like, hey, you know, we may have bombed you guys at Pearl Harbor, but that, that wasn't us. Right. I'm like, how are we communicating so casually? Why mm-hmm. are they telling us anything? Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was uh, after was everything after. had yeah, kind of settled. Now, on top of that... Uh, who the hell? Yeah. Now, on top of that, if there were as many planes as some reports had claimed, then it's very likely that at least one of them would have been shot, shot down, and then yes. either been discovered on yeah. land or sea. And again, no crash plane had ever been found. Especially with some reports citing planes as low as 9,000 feet. That would have been a much more common eyewitness account. And what's interesting is that there were few reported sightings of planes being shot down, but again, no physical evidence. So now we have people claiming, I saw it get shot down. I saw it over there. No evidence. So this kind of starts to raise questions about the validity of the wider swath of eyewitness accounts out there. See, now I I see why people think aliens. Because mm. we started off with, was it aliens? And now I'm sitting, and then we got into the meat of it, and I was like, oh, man, it's no way. You can see planes. It's the planes. It's obviously planes. Yeah. And well, then or- and then now I'm back on the alien train because, yeah, where, where the hell was any plane at right. all? It's an interesting, uh, oh, we'll dissect every angle. So another theory at the time, 
Again, removing our knowledge of history, we're taking ourselves back to 1942. What did they believe at the time? What were their theories? Another one at that time that was generally agreed upon even to this day was that the citizens of Los Angeles had attacked a weather balloon. According to Goss, meteorological balloons were often released above Los Angeles during this time period. Additionally, balloons could be responsible for several sightings. There was at least one confirmed sighting of a balloon carrying a red flare, though what this flare was doing, where it came from, and why it was there is kind of unknown. Or what the flare even indicated is unknown. No one ever stood forward to claim that one. Stimson described what he called planes as moving very slowly, and so it's possible that those could have been balloons just by the nature of their speed. And some witnesses reported that they saw a blimp, and it's possible that instead of a blimp, they just misassociated a balloon as a blimp, again, given its shape and given yeah. its speed. Now, as anything has a wrinkle to it, every theory has a wrinkle, many have argued that it's strange that over 1,400 rounds were fired into the sky and were unable to bring this balloon down. It's a really tough balloon, dude. That said, the balloon kind of just keeps going up. There's no altitude control. So maybe it just kept going up, or maybe it did come down and you just couldn't find the needle in the haystack, the pop balloon in the Los Angeles County of it all. Uh, yeah, you're not wrong. You know? Oh man, a balloon? What's the excuse for it being so far off the coast? For the balloon? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it does kind of bring into question the radar part of it all, right? So yeah. the balloon doesn't explain what was seen, to your point, on three different radars at two different times. Dang. Not fully, anyway. I feel like that the radar portion is pretty concrete. It is, but then I threw some wrinkles in. Okay, so we'll start one by one. Balloons are too slow to pick up the speed that was reported by the people seeing it on radar. So that's right. one kind of wrinkle. But according to ABC News aviation analyst John Nance, a weather balloon could possibly pop up on a radar, but due to its slow speed and lack of metal, it would likely appear as, quote, just a little noise. And I say this to kind of open up, as I like to do, the wrinkle to the wrinkle, to yeah. reopen the theory to possibility. According to a report by British radar expert, the U.S. military did not have adequate radar equipment, and there were too few stations along the West Coast. Not all radar technicians were adequately trained to interpret the newer coastal radar and had trouble discerning friends from foe at night. Oh my goodness, of course, of course. There's so some random monkey wrench thrown into the system. Oh yeah. So is it possible, I pose the question to UN task force, is it possible that the radars and these technicians had mistakenly detected some form of aerial target when there was none? Did they pick up some noise and misinterpret it as a plane? Could this explain why this blip then disappeared as it approached the coast? It is all viable in my mind. Damn. I hate this podcast. Anything that I can like put some stocks in, instantly it's like, mm -hmm. well, I don't know. These theories really start can't. to go, well, hold on now. Yeah. I get hit with something that like rattles me. Yeah. My it, theories to it would, it would require, right, three separate radar stations to have the same collection of errors. Yeah. Um, whether it be technologically or interpretive wise, but it's possible that the weather balloon noise was interpreted as something more substantial. And then this would open the door to the final theory we're going to talk about yeah. in just a second. But we got to talk about UFOs before we get there. I mean, even then, if you have the inexperienced station getting to it first and reporting to the other stations, then, you know, it could just trickle down. Right? Yes. 
It and could then, easily be like, well, well, that's what they saw. Yeah, you're, sw- seeing, you're swaying. I'm seeing a little bit of something, so maybe that's what yeah. that is. Yeah, you're swaying yeah. The, the minds of others to see it the way you're seeing it. Mm-hmm. Now, as you were kind of indicating when we were talking about the early part of the balloon theory, it is due to those very wrinkles that many believe that a UFO visited Los Angeles that night. An alien aircraft might explain why the object had varying speeds, wildly varying altitudes, and also disappeared from the radar as it approached land. One particular photograph from that night that I have in front of you, it was on the uh, front page of the Los Angeles Times, but this particular photo has been used many times as evidence of UFO activity. In this famous image, multiple searchlights are pointing at one shining object in the sky. The object looks like a stereotypical flying saucer, and like I said, it literally looks like the cover to the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It looks like there's staring right at something and what we'll, i mean it does look like they're staring at something they're all locked into the same thing it's such an awesome photo but illusions happen and that doesn't mean that the illusion is real it is important to note because i have the unaltered photo for you as well and by this the way task altered? force it's a little altered i'll talk i'll talk about that in a second but task force as always these photos are available on our social at red web pod if you want to check these out or a quick little Google there. But importantly, like I said, this photo was altered, though this was a common practice at the time because of black and white photography. People would alter the photographs to help with the contrast so the yeah, image would read to better. Identify what's on there. Okay. Yeah. But I'll the unedited photo is still very strange. It's the unedited yes. one. Oh, harder to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't see as many of the spotlights as strong, as strongly as the first image. Mm-hmm. But again, they're all pointing at something because it all converges. And it does look like it has, even in that undoctored one, it looks like it's looking at a series of lights with a big kind of glow on it. It looks like they're locked into something. They're, they're locked into firing something. firing away. 100%. It is that very convergence of all the spotlights and artillery shots that raise a lot of questions for the people believing that this was an alien encounter. And it's kind of the crux of their theory. So some believe that every light and explosion appears to converge on that one target, and that it would otherwise be very unlikely that everyone would all go for the same, quote, empty spot if there wasn't some sort of aircraft present. Basically saying, there must have been something, because how else would they all know to look to the same spot? I mean, I guess like when you see a spotlight in the sky at night, you can tell where it's pointing. Mm -hmm. So did one lead the others? Bingo. That's what I think happened. So... The effects of anxiety and the confusion of what was going on and what exactly the target was could have made it so that all of the smoke and shell bursts created a target. That one spotlight chased the other and the others then saw that. And then they're all basically, everybody that's firing at the sky and also aiming these spotlights is all looking to one another for the answer. Because if if group A doesn't see it and group B doesn't see it, but they're like, wait a minute, group C seems to be looking at something, then they'll kind of all naturally converge yeah. because they're each looking to one another for the answer that they also don't have. Yeah. And so they are inclined to kind of coalesce into one spot, even if there's nothing there, Dude, in my I mean, opinion. This is like, for example, take the three of us. Say we're hunting for Bigfoot and we bring like 15 task force members mm-hmm. and we're all equipped with... Um, rifles with uh shock bullets right i'll be honest even myself if christian goes 
firing if, he, if we're hearing stuff we're hearing growls we can't explain this stuff paranoia setting in panic your christian starts firing off at one uh, one direction yeah i'm with you and i'm running I'm, from that direction. i'm not questioning that you know what i mean i'm letting loose and i bet you trevor and the other 15 members of the task force that are there are all firing in that same direction too and someone's gonna catch a stray little a shock we're yeah the task force is not firing tase bullets we're not an elite group so, <laughs> so we're definitely tasing a bit of ourselves in the process about yeah a third of us are going down <laughs> yeah. taser yeah um but yeah. like i mean I, I, it's I a great see analogy I, I see it like yeah. if a group of people like it's yeah 100 yeah 100 i'm terrified i'm scared whatever you're shooting at i'm shooting that direction right you've seen it in plenty of of scare videos right where, yeah. where someone goes they yelp at something just to get their friends to yell or they like pretend that something's coming and they start yelling and running Everyone else in the area that's not paying attention also yell and run the same direction. So I think it is that same psychology at play here that allowed them to kind of track each other into one spot because then the confidence is high. Then they're going, well, they're firing there and they're firing there. And, you know, it's a self-fulfilling kind of spot. Yeah, it it takes one, but really two is what it'll instill confidence into the entire group. Definitely. And it's particularly the fact that you could see the spotlight so vividly through the yeah. sky um, that I think enabled that. Now, again, I think that does kind of knock out some of the oomph to this particular angle of the theory, but some UFO believers still maintain that the truth was covered up, especially with the inconsistent messaging from various different government agencies. They all, at the time, had a quick different answer. And so they're saying, see, you don't have the answers either, so this must be a cover-up. And I can't, I can't blame them. You know? Yeah, I mean, because you think they'd be succinct, right? Mm-hmm. Just a quick phone call. What's happening? Yep. Let's all get on the same page. But I mean, even when we talked about the Roswell incident, right? Even then, we watched one single government agency, one military, yeah. have three different answers. Yeah, that's true. It was this. No, no, it wasn't that. Right. Sometimes people report an answer sooner than the answer is available. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's a cover-up always. Sometimes uh... it's just miscommunication. But... Of course, as always with a UFO encounter, it's uh, there's no way of knowing for sure. No, at least not until they tell well, us. Well, yeah, no way of the us knowing to the government. Christian spills knows. The beans. Christian <laughs> knows for sure. You imagine if like we were just three of us out and about, and we just got like Bill married by an alien. They said no one's <laughs> gonna believe you. Right, an alien just comes in and then just touches our minds, and we have all the information. Of like an alien race, all that, all the all the answers to, to everything about that alien race. Mm-hmm. If we just came back and started talking about it, no one would believe us. Like you're just making that up. I kissed an alien named Glorp, but Lorp, <laughs> and no one will believe you. You could talk about the texture of the of the lips. No where one's the li- ever, no where one's ever going to believe that they have four lips. Yeah, and, and where it was located, <laughs> it, it was very awkward. Where, where the mouse was. This, this I don't know how they out eat. Of his gourd right now. Yeah, I, I, and no one will believe me. You're right. They have got straws for fingers. <laughs> and he was. I don't know why they have hollow fingers, but was, I mean, and he was sipping the juice. But I don't know what the, I mean. Trevor would be the one to, to sip an alien's finger straw. I, if they if they asked me to try the straw, <laughs> I would I would say I would. <laughs> I'd honestly have to say I'd get right in there. But, Tell and I'd take one for you, he's humanity. Too, he's too curious. But no one would believe you, No dude. one would believe me no either. No one would believe you. And when I came you. back saying it tasted like grape juice. Right. Oh, but like the real grape flavor, not the fake yeah, Concord no, like, flavor. Yeah. Like red 
grapes. Yep, and it just flows through them. God, it's good. And now it flows through you. And it could be yours for the low, low price <laughs> of just accepting them when they come. All right, but let's talk about the more grounded reality here, I think. You know, because others have argued that the true catalyst behind the Battle of Los Angeles was the palpable anxiety of war and that there was nothing in the skies that night. Oh. In other words, the recent declaration of war and the attack from Japanese submarines just up the coast the day prior created a powder keg and a subsequent domino effect for the city of Los Angeles. As mentioned earlier, the sky was clear before the so-called battle, and there were no reports of planes until the alarm went off, after which the objects seen by eyewitnesses could have simply been explosion smoke and shell bursts all from our own military's anti-aircraft artillery exploding. Though the sighting of the balloon right with the with the flare on it yeah is the only confirmed sighting from that night it's still unknown where the flare came from and despite being a confirmed sighting there too exists no evidence of that balloon and that flare so really what it seems like to me is because of the attack the, the previous day because of the heightened anxiety from the months prior and because the military literally was saying, we've got a yellow alert the day before, we're expecting an impending attack. I think we set ourselves up for a, again, a powder keg of domino effects. Like, yeah. and then it all went off, right? One thing led to the next thing, led to the next thing. And it, and it just kind of, we created a very heightened scenario where we were then firing at the sky. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think it's just simply that. I, I think it's nothing but just... I, we were on high alert. I mean, what, like a day or two before yes, Pearl the, Harbor the, the happened? Evening, well, it was two and a half months after Pearl Harbor. Oh, two and a half months after um, Pearl Harbor. But okay. it was literally uh, the previous evening they were expecting an impending attack because of the submarine attack yeah. within the previous 24 hours. So, oh, man. I mean, like, we are really... Everyone is stressed out on yep. high alert and just thinking something's going to happen. Yeah. Then, so, you, then you get readings on a radar, even if they're false, it just escalates and then boom. Yeah. Now, I know Task Force, we've talked about this case throughout various episodes. I'm really happy we finally got to talk about this one. It's kind of a cornerstone for a lot of UFO cases and UFO believers. But yeah, I do. I mean, these pictures are wild. They're so cool, too. But I do have to say that kind of, I think walking away from this one, that, that we do have an answer. That again, it's the anxieties it's of war. Anxiety, it's all of the precautions. Yeah. It's it's the perfect powder keg to set us up for essentially just firing a hole in the atmosphere out of an abundance of caution and a little bit of fear. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I completely agree. But man, it's still a fascinating case purely from a psychological standpoint. Mm -hmm. And I can totally see why why people want to put UFO into the spot because. Yeah. It's I mean, a, the picture, it's an easy answer, right? The picture is going to stick with me. It's yeah. just all these spotlights like firing at the sky. And it's going to stick with you, too, because it created the, let's just say it, pinnacle of film, Battle of Los Angeles. That's yeah, that's where you want. Mm -hmm. I saw his face on it. Where is he going with this? I, the, the face of pain that you didn't <laughs> hear, Task Force, was, was me contriving that sentence. Yeah, I, I saw it, and I went, this, and it was like, there's no serious thing that's going to come out of this man's mouth right now. I had to conjure that one. I felt it in my bones. I still, you know what? I, I Whoa, maybe I, Battle for Los Angeles for that. book club? Oh, <laughs> no, no. Hold on, no. no. If you're talking about book club, listen, Task Force, if you like horror movies, books, graphic novels, yeah. comics, TV shows, anything horror, yeah. we talk about it 
or Fredo talks about it. You host it in that book is, club. That is true. You guys wanted me to host something, and uh, yeah, hosting Red Web at Book Club. Obviously, it's about more than books. We started off with a a uh, dark graphic novel called The Nice House on the Lake. So good. Um, it's worth a read. If not, we go through every chapter yep. and uh, give some details and our thoughts about it. And up next, we are going to be watching and talking about the movie Talk to Me. Oh, yeah. I'm That's so excited. That's such a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. So we're going to break down the plots and everything. So if you haven't seen it, you're going to get spoiled, but you'll come along the ride with yeah. us. Uh, otherwise, watch it as your homework and come in. But yes, if you want to watch that, you can do so at redwebpod.com slash first. It is our patronage model as a thank you to task force members who go the extra mile to support us. And this is a show exclusively for you first member task force members. So thank you again. And I'm super stoked that we have this. Our first episode, the pilot episode for Book Club is out right now as of March 1st, and it's going to come out every Friday. Also, throw in suggestions. Yeah. I know you guys are going to have a lot of uh, movies, books, TV shows, all that's on the table. We're figuring out the format, stuff like that. Obviously, a book is hard to cover because there's so many pages, mm -hmm. but I mean, throw TV shows in there, throw movies in there. Right, right. Um, yeah. Anything. Yeah. So um, I'm sure we, I mean, the found footage movie that, uh, oh, yeah. uh, Christian was suggesting will probably be in the mm -hmm. docket at some mm -hmm, point. Mm -hmm. I just rewatched as above. So below that that's a good one. I've never seen it. I've always wanted to watch it. It's about the Paris catacombs. You got to get in it's there. It's really yeah. good. It's like found footage. Paris good excuse catacombs. To, to do the episode. Yep, that, yeah, it really is. And so like, like I said, I just threw one out there. One saw the other one hasn't seen it yet. So throw out your suggestions and it'd be a good time. I just love that. Red Web, the movie podcast about <laughs> mysteries, now has we have a pro film production shirt. <laughs> now has a book podcast about movies. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's a bookshelf with like a uh, like a DVD player and, and just DVD. <laughs> throw a vinyl in there. Ooh, or you throw a book vinyl. club vinyl. That's that's April Fool's is tapes. a vinyl episode. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening to yet another mystery. I feel like we're coming away a little bit cleaner this time because I feel like the confidence levels are higher. Yeah, I'm very confident. Usually in that. we walk away with a little bit more, mm, you know, yep. uncertainty about the world, the mystery honest, unsolved, but, you know. We talk about all the time if we had a time machine. I don't think I'd go back and check this one. No. No. Yeah. I want to be on my list. Maybe maybe just like a, a recording of it if somebody had the camera out, yeah. a home video. But. I might see that. All right, Fredo. Well, I'll see you right back here next Monday for another mystery. Thank you.